Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. This is Forward Radio, WFMLP, LP, Louisville. We are broadcasting from here in the historic Hayburn Building at 106.5 FM, or you may be catching our live stream through the internet at forwardradio.org, wherever you are. Or you could be listening on our podcasts, uh, which you can find archived at forwardradio.org, too. We encourage you to get involved in the station there. We rely entirely on donor support. Uh, this is all listener-sponsored radio, and our fifth anniversary is coming on. It, coming up. It was April 9th of 2017 when we flipped the switch and went on air, and we're getting so excited for that birthday coming up, and, and you could pledge right now to uh, sustain us for another five years at forwardradio.org. Uh, and we also are a volunteer run. I'm a volunteer. Everybody you hear on this station is volunteer, so if you want to get involved, go to forwardradio.org and click participate today. What we do here on Sustainability Now each week, though, is bringing cool folks from around the community. Sometimes they're old friends of mine. Sometimes they're people I'm just meeting today. And uh, sometimes they're connections to prior guests. And that's what's happening today. I'm really excited to have in the virtual studio with me, joining us from Bellarmine University here in Louisville today, Kathy Gomez. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, nice to be here. Yes, it's great to have you. Uh, Kathy is the Community Engagement Advisor for Bellarmine University, working as an AmeriCorps VISTA this academic year. Uh, and she's a Louisville native uh, whose parents immigrated from Mexico to the U.S. about 30 years ago. And that's especially relevant because we want to talk today about women and people of color navigating and working in the environmental field, which so tragically has been way too white for too long. I'm certainly part of the problem. Uh, I'm one of those white middle-aged guys who has been involved in environmental issues for so, so long. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but what's wrong is that the the environmental field has been a, a very white space for, for far too long. And if we look back at some of the sort of founding fathers, if you will, of the environmental movement, some of them are pretty racist in their attitudes, especially about indigenous people and things like that. So these are the kinds of issues we're going to dive in today uh, on, on sustainability now with Kathy. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited that you're here, here and up for this conversation. You're a friend of Kenyatta Johnson's, right? She was a guest on this show. Uh, how did you guys get connected? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story, though. Um, a mutual friend, actually, who works at Bellarmine. He's a fellow, the Newman Fellow at Bellarmine University, oh. Marcus Stubbs. And so Marcus asked to talk to me about um, the, it's a food conference, food security, Feeding America conference um, that NKU is going to host. And he's just asking me all of these questions. And then I got to talking about um, what I majored, because I went to Bellarmine, so I majored in environmental science. And we just started talking about that and how the field is very white and how I felt like as one of the only women of color environmentalism, like, I don't know, I, it was just hard for me to find jobs that I could relate to. And so we just started talking about that. Um, and then all of a sudden he says, well, you should meet my friend Kenyatta Johnson who works at Bernheim, who runs DEI initiatives for Bernheim, who kind of does that work, environmental yeah. justice work, but also it intersects with diversity and inclusion and so yeah that's how the connection was made yeah um and kenya yeah. is very much interested especially in bringing young people of color yeah into the movement and even just connecting young people of 
the color with nature, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because there is so much of the issue of uh, nature deficit disorder and being disconnected from the very fundamental things that sustain us. And that's true across the population, but, you know, it, it can be especially problematic in, in communities of color, right? Yeah, I... Like when I think back and I, some of my friends and family members ask me like, what, how did you even find this field? Cause like, you know, my parents ask me all the time, like, what did you major in? What are you studying for? And it's really hard to translate from English to Spanish, what that's like. Mm. And so not only is there a communication barrier, but also what it looks like, because when I was younger, like. We, I grew up in an apartment complex, so our backyard was a parking lot, and so right. there really wasn't any green space. Um, so what does that field look like? Are there jobs in that field? So, yeah. 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 Forgot your questions. <laughs> no, it wasn't a question. You were just telling oh, the story. I was just rambling. <laughs> no, you were doing just what I wanted to do because that was the question in my head. Like, how did you, <laughs> how did you even get into the environmental field and – did you discover it as a possibility in college or was it something you were interested in before Bellarmine? So I did not think of environmental justice or environmentalism as a career choice until I was about a senior in high school. Oh. Um, I saw a documentary, Forks Over Knives. Forks Over uh, Knives. Yes. Yeah. That's such a good one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And around this time, it was the year, it was 2015, 2016. So veganism was starting to heighten. Yeah, by a lot, and um, that has been good to see. That. Yeah, yeah, we saw that over the years how veganism just grew and grew and grew in popularity, and I'd like to think it started in 2015, <laughs> 2016 area, and I was part of that. Um, this is my ego getting in the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because it's been like it's been popular for so. Long. Anyways, that's another rant. But um, I watched this documentary, and it talked a lot about you know, how cows produce methane and how it's affecting the environment and how food production really takes a toll on the environment. And a lot of the food produced yeah. is for for animals and livestock. And so I just got really thinking about just the impact that we have on the environment uh-huh. as humans. And that's something that I've never really thought about until I watched that documentary. And so I started doing research more on food production than anything but I think that's what sparked my initial passion for environmentalism. And so oh. I was a senior in high school going into college. I saw that Bellarmine had an environmental science degree. I was going to do um, elementary education. That's what I originally wanted to study. But then I saw environmental science and I just went for it. And I said, okay, let's just do this one because it seems fun and I want to learn more. So, well, yeah. Well, are you interested in connecting those two things and doing environmental education? Yeah. So I think that was one of my biggest struggles in college because, you know, there's environmental science and early education, yeah. elementary education. Um, and it was just too separate for me. Like it was just two separate buildings. Like in my mind, I didn't think there was a way to connect those two. But the more, like, the more I talk to people, the more I've talked to Kenyatta, I find it that it kind of it can be that way. Like, you can connect those two. Like, there is environmental education that does exist, and like, there can be a curriculum change within public and private schools. Like, that is a possibility. And so, yeah, I'm exploring that possibility a lot more now that I'm out of college. Uh huh. 
and just meeting new people who are interested in the same things as I am. Oh, that's great. So even here locally, you're feeling like there's a good community of environmental career oriented folks. I'm starting to know more, learn and meet more people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially out of college and with the help of Marcus and Kenyatta, you know, when they say like, it's the people you meet, that's true. Like that saying is true. I forget the entire saying, but like, it really is the people you meet. It really is the people that you connect with and talk to that you get to see all of the possibilities that a community can, can build or, you know, come to the conclusion of, Yeah. yeah. So how you mentioned a little bit about it, about your parents' reaction to your major and stuff like that, but how has your family in general, maybe not just your parents, but other folks in your family uh, responded to this budding interest in the environment? Yeah, um, they really, because the translation in Spanish, ciencias del ambiente, and which is like science of weather. So they really right. think of like, I'm a, like a weather scientist. So like I analyze climate change, which isn't necessarily wrong. It just yeah. doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it, yeah so it, like they truly see me as a scientist who would, yeah, analyze the weather. Yeah. <laughs> um. So when they heard that, they're like, oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, like, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, they don't really know how to react. Yeah. Because, you know, the typical jobs that you would go into, doctor, lawyer, right. nurse, like, Right. They understand that, but like they don't understand what it would mean <laughs> to study climate change, quote unquote. Right, right. And what about like personal practices? I mean, I'm sure when you when you saw this film, Forks Over Knives, maybe that affected your diet and you started eating more plant based or something like that. And just tell me the story about that. Yeah. So um, it definitely influenced my young. I was like 17 when this happened. Yeah. Um, so it definitely influenced the way I saw food. Um, so yeah, I went vegan. I went vegetarian first, and then I went vegan. Like the beginning, I remember so clearly. It was the first day of 2016. I was like, oh, wow. I'm vegan now. Like, and then their reaction, my parents' reaction to that was also another story because I was I don't know what I was afraid of, I guess, just them looking at me strangely. Because, you know, when you tell somebody you're vegan, you're like, oh, (laughs) Uh -oh. you're vegan, (laughs) you know, (laughs) all of these, like, not complications, but, like, you have to take into account, you know, something you've never really think about before, and you have to think about it. So um, I was scared of that reaction, and it was that reaction for a (laughs) it's like oh one of those (laughs) and I was like yeah one of those (laughs) have Um, have you found ways though to connect it to maybe some of your family or or native Mexican cultures yeah so um the longer I went like because okay I was a very heavy meat eater like I was that that family member who like saw steak I was first one to grab it you know um and so they didn't believe me at first they didn't <laughs> trust that i was gonna be vegan for long <laughs> she's just so putting like, on a show yeah <laughs> yeah it's just a phase, a phase, a phase yeah <laughs> she'll get over it in like a month or so um well fast forward four years later um my mom started to research 
like what was in her food. And I think that's what the lasting impact was. She started looking at the labels yeah. of food. She started to learn uh, how to read nutrition labels. And then at one point I was telling her that I was craving pozole and it's a traditional Mexican soup style. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's maize in it and chicken or pork. And I was telling her that I was craving the soup and that I really wanted it. And she made it for me without the chicken stock, <sighs> without pork. And so I think me being vegan influenced her cooking a little bit and kind of made those traditional Mexican meals right. into what I could eat, which was very lovely of her. She didn't have to, but because, you know, I was vegan and she saw me struggling or missing that food. Yeah. She did it anyways. And so, yeah, that was very lovely of her. You can be traditionally Mexican and vegan. I've learned that. Yeah. Indeed. You know, I encountered the same thing when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Paraguay, which is a very meat-centered diet Mm -hmm. down there. Uh, And my wife and I were vegetarian. We just went down like, no, we're not going to change. You know, we've been vegetarian for over a decade. Like, this is who we are. We're just... But the Peace Corps is all about, like, adapting to the, you know, fit into the local culture and things like that. So we had to find ways to make ourselves be sort of the butt of the joke. Like, okay, we don't mind that. Right. Uh, And yet stick to it. Right. And, and we were, you know, in very intimate settings with all kinds of families on their farms. And it was not hard to see that, that this is a place of incredible abundance of produce. Like there is so much Mm -hmm. great fresh fruit, uh, and vegetables and, uh, you know, peanuts and beans, almost all the families had them, but they didn't value them like we did. Uh, yeah. they knew how to eat them, but they would always want to choose the meat. And so when we would come and eat lunch with them or something like that, it was an excuse, like you were saying that, well, let's just try it without the meat today, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it worked out pretty great. I don't know. It's always hard to tell these things are subjective, but I think maybe we opened some eyes a little bit and got people thinking. Uh, so that's a cool story. Um, I'm speaking today with uh, Kathy Gomez. She's community engagement advisor for Bellarmine University as an American. Core Vista this year, and we're talking about uh, getting women and people of color involved in the environmental field and what it's like to be one. Uh, And we're going to talk too a little bit later about uh, food justice issues. But I kind of jumped right into the issues and and didn't even ask you about what you do at Bellarmine. Can you (laughs) tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a community engagement advisor? Yeah. um, So. To be quite honest, when I began, I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. But um, now that I've been in this position for about nine, ten months now, I started last July. Um, and so what it means, it's really connecting um, and working with and partnership with our community members. Yeah. And we're pretty new center. We started last year. We started in 2020. So it's a fairly new center for our university. But I think... Our, our, mich- our real mission is to connect with community members in a mutually beneficial way because, you know, you think of volunteerism and you think of one way or one way relationship or you go into a community partner site, you volunteer for a day and then you leave and yeah. then you go back to living your normal life. And so we're trying to combat that narrative with real sustainable, long lasting um, relationships with our community partners. So yeah. A uh, typical day here would, um, I work with students a lot. And so one of the programs that we run to have that lasting um, sustainable relationship 
with our partners is the Bonner Program. And it's a nationally recognized program. And we just started it this academic school year. And it's where federal work study students go out and do their federal work package. So it's a through FAFSA. So if you qualify to be a, fa or a federal work study, and that's through FAFSA, um, you get a campus on-campus job. But for Bonners, they do their uh, work study out onto sites, like wow. nonprofit organizations or uh, government sectors. So yeah. Wow. What are some <laughs> of those what are some of those types of jobs and organizations the work study students are working with? Yeah, so right now a lot of our students are at St. Magnus, so they do a lot of after school hmm. care. Um, but we do have a student at Mental Health, um, Kentucky Mental Health of America. And so she does a lot of she runs her social media, but a lot of the things she learns is the legislator behind mental health in Kentucky. Wow. Um, we've had students at Cabbage Patch, which is another after school program for kids. I had a student at Have a Heart Clinic, which is um, a clinic for heart patients um, that don't have um, medical insurance. Sure. So, yeah, she would work there. Wow. But yeah, we've all over. We try to place them all over Louisville. That is great. Uh, are other schools in town doing that or is this unique to Bellarmine? Um, I think this is, I think UofL tried to do it. I was reading a little bit about it. I wish I, I knew. <laughs> I should know. It might have been a rumor, um, but I know Center does it. Um, Berea College, they yeah. have a really big Bonner program. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any other college. Well, there's multiple colleges, but in Kentucky, I know Center and Berea have the big, probably one of the bigger influences. And do the students who want to do this more engaged community work through work study, do they seek it out or are they selected or how do they find their way to it? Yeah. So we we try to advertise and they usually come seek us out, um, which has worked in the past. We try to, we're trying to advertise it more so we can have more students involved. It's our first year. So I think we're just trying to be like, are you interested? Come yeah. join us. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> you know, but um, I think our students have really gravitated towards it. Yeah. And I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, they see community partner and they're like, I want to do that. Cool. <laughs> and they come into our office. Yeah. And then let's talk for people who aren't so familiar with AmeriCorps VISTA. Tell, tell our listeners about what that program is. Yeah, so it's a year of service. Um, and it could be after high school, after college, but essentially um, you do a year of service with an organization. A lot of AmeriCorps VISTAs do it with nonprofit, like traditional nonprofit organizations. Um, I did an AmeriCorps service year last year in DC. Oh yeah, um, I wanted to ask you about that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I did that with City Year and that's, that's education, so that's, trying to um, provide equitable education for everybody in a public school setting oh. in DC. And so that was really interesting, but it was it's a lot different than my job as a VISTA because if you're regular, I don't want to say regular, but if you're an AmeriCorps member, I think it's, I think the roles are a little different. You'd have, you'd have to go check out the AmeriCorps website for a more accurate definition than what I'm about to present to you all. <laughs> um, but I know it's a service year. My role is, I think it's more administrative work, more mm -hmm. behind the scenes instead of being in the front lines like I was 
um, last year with my students. Right. And the, yeah. other, the other way I'm familiar with AmeriCorps volunteers locally is they'll be like volunteering with groups I'm involved in with like Louisville grows and tree planting. And yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Uh, more, yeah. more frontline, if you will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's cool that there's all these different types of possibilities. Uh, and it's, I guess it's sort of like a domestic Peace Corps option. Uh, right. People, yeah, yeah. But it's only one year. It sounds like. Yeah. So the service year is one year. You do get an academic award at the end of the year if you want to apply it for grad school or just if you're going into college soon. Oh, you do okay. Get a, you do get a reward, um, and I think that's one of the benefits of AmeriCorps. Yeah. And do they cover yeah. any of your expenses as a volunteer? So last year they did cover transportation. They advise you to apply for um, SNAP, which is the supplemental oh, okay. nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. But they, other than that, I don't think they provide... They provided housing here at Bellarmine, which is a dorm room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a dorm room. Yeah. So you'll be doing this through the end of the academic year, I imagine. And then do you have plans? Yeah. So I want to go to grad school for um, urban planning because ah. I I did, like I said before, I did study environmental science. I want to apply that more to my career. So I want to do urban planning. Yeah. I took a course in undergrad about sustainable development and it just blew my mind to possibilities of how i can implement sustainability and other things besides my diet or my habits yeah. and urban planning was one of those topics that really interested me so important yes yeah. how, how we shape our built environment has such an influence on our behaviors and our choices and just our ability to live more or less sustainably so uh yeah i'm a big fan of urban planners i wish we had more of them practicing uh, in our in our cities because uh, it would make a big difference and especially if they're coming from non-white non-male backgrounds too that's really exciting uh you know it's very easy to you know come from a certain background and think you have the answers that work for everybody right uh and that's how we get ourselves into problems uh so i'm really excited about you wanting to shift into that field uh are are there women and people of color in schools of urban planning i i've seen quite a few at U of L. yeah not so much at Bellarmine. Uh, all of my professors were white. I love them dearly, 100%. Yeah. Love them dearly. But it, yeah, being a, a woman of color in the environmental field, yeah, it felt, I don't want to say isolating, but like some of the issues that we presented, I saw them differently because of my yeah. background. And so I'm really excited to just have that voice in urban yeah. to say okay well this is what i've experienced and this is what other communities have experienced yeah. and it's yeah sometimes it doesn't align like whatever they see isn't exactly what i've seen so can i yeah. tease a little, a little bit more out of you about that could you maybe think of a, a concrete example where you realized that you had a very different perspective than your peers on a certain issue and and it's sort of popped out at you is like oh <laughs> that's what's going on here <laughs> yeah um let me see i can't think of a personal experience right now but i will give you an experience that i had last week on i ran an alternative spring break i chaperoned for an alternative spring break last week and our topic was um 
racial justice, so civil rights and race relations. And we went to the Russell neighborhood. Nice. And it was lovely, wonderful neighborhood. Um, Miss Jackie, everybody give her some love. Jackie Floyd at Russell Place of Promise. She's an amazing, phenomenal yeah. woman. Um, she was talking about how much love she has for her community and how much love she has for her neighborhood. And, you know, it got me thinking of the type of things that people would say about, specifically about the West End of Louisville, how negative the language can be. And um, it just, yeah, had me thinking of, okay, people in the community, they see their community differently than people who are outside of that community. And so specifically the Russell neighborhood, so much love is in this community, so much heart and soul and just passion for a community that only wants to see their their people thrive, right? And yet we have media and people outside of that community saying, oh, it's poor, it's uneducated. And so things like that just really, <laughs> you know, get under my skin because like you're not part of that community. You don't live in that community. <laughs> Why, why are you, who are you, you to know, judge? Who yeah. are you to judge, basically? No, that's, that's right on. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if we could reflect a little too on, you know, 2020 and the, the protests that emerged certainly locally, but nationally in the wake of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's murders and how we saw a lot of people waking up to, um, the impacts of white privilege and people just recognizing whiteness for the first time, right? Yeah. Uh, and yet there's, you know, been a long enough time now since that that I see a little bit of people slipping back into old patterns of business as usual and that kind of thing. I don't know if you've had any reflections on it, especially with the recent ruling on uh, Brett Atkinson, but... Mm -hmm. um, uh, certainly there's still, you know, very mobilized, you know, there's still an active movement. Um, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I'm sure you know more about it than I do and are engaged in it too. Uh, but just do you have any reflections on this moment after what we saw in 2020? Yeah, I've, we, as a center of community engagement, we think about um, kind of our impact on our students and our community. Yeah. And we were talking, we were having a reflection about how, you know, we don't see it on social media as much. It's not in the media as much, mm -hmm. you know, um, the civil rights movement that's happening right now. It's not seen as much, but I was thinking there's a lot of behind the scenes work that has been doing. A lot of organizations have been doing a lot of work that is, isn't, I guess, portrayed. It's very important work and it should be recognized. But I just have to remind myself that it takes time. Yeah. It takes so much time to undo what has right. been done for so long. <laughs> Again, it's 400 plus years. So like, yeah. it takes a little bit of time. And I'm an impatient person. Like, I want to see things done. I want to see things on social media. I want to see things happening. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was watching a video and she was saying that it's not like, it's not instinct gratification yeah. this work it's not and if that's what you're expecting then you're in the wrong field <laughs> exactly <laughs> being patient is something that i've been trying to learn and that's something that i've been reflecting on i was just going to say certainly i can't i can't help myself bringing up the parallels uh you know being having been now in the environmental field for 30 years of struggle here you know we've always said that it's a, a marathon not a sprint 
<laughs> and then yeah. we're, we're trying to play a long game when we're trying to promote sustainable development. Uh, but certainly, yeah, the racial justice work is also frustratingly slow sometimes. Yes, it can be frustratingly <laughs> slow. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. I have to also remind myself to speak up whenever needed, because I think that's also pretty important when you're having conversations with people. Um, to speed up, I guess, because I think conversations are essential, communicating with other people and not shutting down. And when you do that, do, yeah. are you pretty well received when you speak up? That's the hope, you know, know right? Hope Maybe you so. don't even know because we're we're yeah. in the South and we're nice and we wouldn't say. Yeah. <laughs> or it's on like Zoom and then your cameras are yeah. off, you know, so <laughs> that's something we've had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. you think some of these difficult conversations are happening still? I like to hope so. See, I'm a, I'd like to think that yeah. they are happening. I'd like to think that people have woken something mm -hmm. or like i'm tr i hope people are constantly reminded and yeah. so when the brett case happened i hope that's my hope is that ignited that fire again or have picked up a book or have watched something or have talked to a friend you know so yeah i'd like to think i, I think my friends tell me i'm too optimistic <laughs> <laughs> no never lose your optimism <laughs> Yeah, especially in these dark times, we we need bright lights like you. I'm speaking today with Kathy Gomez. She is a community engagement advisor for Bellarmine University, serving as a volunteer AmeriCorps Vista for this academic year. Uh, she's a Louisville native, and her parents immigrated from Mexico, from Oaxaca, in fact, a, about 30 years ago. So we're talking today about women and people of color navigating and working within the environmental field. Uh, and certainly, I know an issue that you're really passionate about, and I am too, that is worth spending the, the rest of our time talking about, is just the injustices we see in our food system. And especially here in downtown Louisville, just the, it feels like almost active food apartheid. Mm -hmm. What have you noticed and why are you fired up about this? Yeah, so I think this, okay, so in my undergrad year, the more I learned about sustainable de development, the more I realized that there's a root cause to why sustainable development exists in the first place. Mm. And I reflected back onto Louisville and Louisville is one of the most segregated cities in America. And so I think that fired something in me. Like, why is this happening? Why, <laughs> why are we still segregated? And so I realized that race played a giant role and then your income levels played a giant role of why Louisville is the way Louisville is specifically in environmental, like I talk about environmental justice a lot. And so I just realized that everything was connected to one another. So, you know, you see a redlining map of Louisville and you see the quote unquote red zones, and then you put on top of it, a map of the most polluted areas right. in Louisville, you, it's the same area. And then you put another map on it and it's, you know, areas that are, have food deserts and it's the same area. So like all of these things have been connected in my mind. And so food in particular, like I said, from a very young age, um, I say young age, 17, <laughs> I'm 23, y'all. That was not, I like think I'm older than I am. But anyways, 
as a 16, 17 year old, food just became a really large portion of my life only because of not because of the vegan diet, but also because just learning how we produce it. Yeah. And then where does it go? And so I think that food system passion just traveled with me to my college years. I even took a class on anthropology of food um, with Dr. Frank Hutchins. Just shout out to him. He's great. But um, I took this class on on how food is produced, but also where does it go when it goes from, you know, from the ground to like actually harvesting it to <laughs> going to your grocery stores. Like, what is that process like? And a lot of, you know, a lot of the times food comes from very, very, very far away. It's yeah. traveled quite a distance. And so then I saw, um, we went to a factory where they pick out the produce that would go into the grocery stores. Oh, and wow. a lot of the times, a lot, if it's like bruised or if it's just a shade off, it would be thrown out. And so then that got me thinking about food waste. It's a whole domino effect. I'm like, okay, we say that like one in six Americans are going hungry and yet we're throwing away so much food. What is right. the problem? Like what is happening? Um, and then profit over people. I was thinking, why are we, why are we um, putting profit on a pedestal and not feeding people? And so, Going back to Louisville, um, I yeah, I was looking at all of the grocery stores within Louisville, and yeah, I saw a big disparity in in the areas of Louisville that didn't have that grocery store, or grocery store was miles away, and so it all just goes back systemically. So yeah, that was a whole entanglement. <laughs> <laughs> of my journey through food systems so sorry if that was a little confusing but um i just think everything is connected and so when i think of the food system in louisville i think back to that redlining yeah. map and how it's connected and you know there's so much injustice built into the system you're we're just talking about looking at it from the perspective of like the consumer can't find fresh local food in their neighborhood. But if you trace it all the way back to the land where it's produced and the injustices going on there in the farm fields and with farm workers who, you know, right. Wendy's won't even pay them a penny more per pound for tomatoes. You know, the Mockley workers have been organizing it for that in Florida for, for so long now, right? Like, um, it, we, we see that these food choices we make and how we participate in this very unjust, broken food system is saying that we support all the injustice buried all the way back yeah. down to the fields. And of course, when you start broadening beyond just the impact on people, but also the environment, which sustains the people and all the pollution and extraction of water and <laughs> abuse of land and soil. I mean, there is a lot of pain and abuse built into the average meal in America and so much waste, like you said, right? 40% or something like that of food grown in America is never actually eaten by a person. Like, mm -hmm. and, and yet people in dire straits, hopefully not lacking calories, but definitely lacking nutrient dense foods, right. Uh, and lacking health that, that comes from fresh, healthy food. So how do we 
tackle this such an entrenched system, Kathy. Um, what are some of your sort of rays of hope? You're an optimist, right? So uh, what are you looking towards, towards fixing this broken system at least a little bit here in Louisville and starting to make a wedge in? I think definitely the first step is educating yourself because I think with knowledge comes that change. If I know enough, I'm confident enough. Mm. Uh, and so first step, educating yourself. What is the food system like? Yeah. What is the food system like in Louisville? Um, where do my avocados come from? Right. My bananas. <laughs> <laughs> I know that the apples don't grow in the grocery store. So where do they come from? <laughs> um, so also educating our kids. Um, yeah. Just showing kids where our produce comes from yeah. and having getting their hands dirty uh, with a garden, a small pot, I think even a small little pot and a little seed can go a long way with kids. Right. And, and for not just kids, but everybody, because yeah. the vast majority of Americans, you know, we're so, there's so few farmers left in America. Right. And so few people living off the land that most of us just have no clue where food actually comes from, what it looks like on the plant. Right. Uh, what, what raising animals for food looks like and what it, yeah. what it involves. So just reconnecting people to that, I think is yeah. such valuable work. And that's why I think things like school gardens and campus gardens and community gardens in your neighborhoods that can expose people who've maybe never tried it before to mm -hmm. just a little bit of understanding uh, is, is so important. Uh, now, Bellarmine has some food gardens. Is that right? Do you know what the situation is? We're starting what we're hoping we had we've had this plot of land we've we've had it for a while now but through student initiatives and through new faculty initiatives we're starting it up again yeah we have a whole bunch of seeds now we have Ooh. like a giant box of a bunch of produce that we're hoping to use um so yeah the hope is to plant that grow food, grow vegetables, have field trips out there, get kids connected, adults connected. And then whenever it is time to harvest, put that back into our community. Yeah. So, and by, and I mean the Bellarmine community. So give it back to um, our university dining hall and have them cook with it. And then tell students, hey, like this was grown in our backyards. Like you're eating tomatoes that were grown less than <laughs> a mile away from you. <laughs> yeah. Hyper local, right? Yeah. Hyper local, super local. <laughs> and just why that matters too. I mean, not only yeah. not only because of the exploitation or carbon pollution or chemical pollution, whatever is associated with producing conventional food, uh, but then there's the economic impact of eating that way, right? If you're sending all your food dollars to God knows where, uh, you, then you're extracting those dollars from our local K Kentucky or Indiana uh, farm economy, right? And, and it just makes so much sense for us to sort of relocalize our whole economy, but especially our food economy in a place like this, which is has such abundance, right? It's mm -hmm. it's crazy that we uh, rely on these foods from who knows where. But uh, it's also it's also funny to see what um, grocery stores try and sell us, right? And and you you walk into certain stores in Louisville, and you will see an abundance of produce greeting you uh, as you walk in. 
you go to some of our stores maybe in the West End, the few that are left, and it can be hard to find the fresh produce at all, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's another example of even if there's a store in the community, uh, it's a food apartheid and, and, and not prioritizing health uh, amongst the shoppers. Um, so how do, how do we tackle some of that? Food growing is certainly a part of it. Uh, but any thoughts about sort of the food buying side of things? So how do we decrease the food apartheid? Is that your question? Yeah. How do we take community control of groceries? Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely think we should talk to our community members who are experiencing the lack of nutritious food. Talk to them first and see what they want and what they need and what they're willing to do in order to get that um, food apartheid closed. So I know... um, a lot of them have community gardens. I know there's, I used to work with the Food Literacy Project and they used to have um, a community garden down in Iroquois. Uh-huh, yeah. Pardon me if I'm wrong, yeah. Iroquois and so Farm, yeah. I think it's getting community voice, especially yeah. to work with community partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, advocating too. Yeah. For, for more grocery stores. Yeah. And getting, getting organized, I think, is super important. Yeah, I think that's what you're hinting at there, right? Like when communities come together and say, this is what we want and exactly. either demand it of the capitalist model or create yeah. their own model like the Louisville yeah. Community Grocery is trying to do, right? Or you could do it even at the level of like a farmer's market. Um, yeah, to- that's another thing that I was going to say. More farmer mar- farmers markets that um, take EBT or SNAP, yeah, like yeah. I said. Um, I think that's very much needed, and I think that'll promote a lot more people to go to farmers markets. Mm-hmm. Um, as if, yeah, they accept EBT. Farmers markets and then community supported agriculture models, um, right. which are, are t- you know conventionally when they started they were pretty pretty pricey a big investment for most families to make at the beginning of the season so a lot of people are focusing on social justice and food justice are sort of flipping that model so that you don't have to spend all that money up at front but you could invest weekly and kind of that's the that's the new roots model of doing this kind of csas where we're we're pooling our money collectively uh and investing it in local food and getting that fresh food delivered to our neighborhoods but um i don't as one individual have to take on the big risk of making a six or seven hundred dollar investment at the beginning of the season kind of thing so yeah i think i think we have the models right like uh mm-hmm. it, we just need to get organized and and come together around this issue and recognize that you know the health of my neighbor is is my health as well and that we're all in this together uh, I think it, I, I think that's you know there's reason for optimism here too, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I hope. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. Yeah, that we yeah we close the food apartheid that everybody gets fed. You know, mm. I'm very optimistic. Yeah, and not just locally, but globally too. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, globally, yes. Yeah, there's. That's that's one thing I've really learned in sustainability is to to remember that we are in a place of abundance and what we've done is sort of squandered that as as a species, mm-hmm. right? And that uh, if we just got rid of all the waste and inefficiencies and abuse in the system, uh, everybody could have 
a very rich, healthy life. <laughs> but it's yeah. because we focus on concentrating wealth and, you know, it's a zero sum game kind of mindset. Well, then then we're going to lead us down the path to inequality. And so that's what we got to do is, is focus on the abundance that's here uh, yeah. and how we can meet the needs that that are real, uh, but with the local resources that we definitely have. Um, well, this has been a really fun conversation. Uh, we're, we're very near the end of our time, but I'm just wondering if there's anything I didn't give you space to mention, anything you want to talk about real quick that I, that we didn't cover yet. Yeah. I hope everybody stays well, talk to people, you know, build authentic relationships. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been in this place where it's been really dark because of the past couple of years and understandably so. But just know that you're not alone in anything that you do. Yeah, that's yeah. a wonderful note to end on. Thank you, Kathy, for joining us today. It's been such a treat getting to know you and having you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a fun conversation, oh, Justin. Good. It was really oh, nice good. to meet you. I'm one of the people that he just met <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right before we started. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm so glad we did. And, and hopefully you'll go on to continue doing some great things. We'll have another excuse to get together again soon. So yeah. keep at it, Kathy. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming in up in just a second, your community action calendar. I've got all kinds of ideas for how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends. here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, listening to the sweet, sweet sounds of Appalachian local favorites who've given us permission to use their wonderful local music on the podcast versions of our programs, which you can find archived at forwardradio.org, and you can learn more about them at appalatin.com. Well, I hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out and are ready to take action for sustainability this week, my friends, because yes, there is a lot going on. Starting on Tuesday, March 15th, a couple of 
great things happening. At 2 p.m. online, there'll be an event by uh, UNA Women, United Nations Association Women, addressing the impact of forever chemicals on women and girls. Answering the United Nations call for global elimination of PFAS, or forever chemicals, UNA Women, an affinity group of UNA USA, hosts this a parallel program to explore the impact of women and girls affected by forever chemicals, which have been found in many different consumer, commercial, and industrial products since the 1930s, my friends. This panel will feature local community leaders and United Nations experts who will discuss how forever chemicals have severe implications on public health and the environment. Join us to share your experiences with PFAS chemicals and hear potential solutions for regulating PFAS to serve as guides for changemakers around the world like you. You can find the link to register through the Women's History Month calendar available at louisville.edu slash women's center with an S. Louisville.edu slash women's center. Now, Tuesday evening, uh, March 15th at 7 p.m., also online, Forward Radio's proud community partner, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, invites you to join them via Zoom for their monthly program, welcoming Daryl Adams, Executive Director of Medwater, a Louisville, Ecuador nonprofit. The first time Medwater was in Quechua community in Ecuador and Amazon, Daryl realized that everything they had planned would have to be reimagined. Because of the dynamics of culture, language, traditions, and education, our Western organizational model was an impediment to social change. No doubt that has happened so many times around the world. Daryl will tell us uh, this story about how Medwater has managed these dynamics after discovering resources in a pre-modern culture that would broaden understanding of these communities and the energy they offer toward a collaborative relationship within the context of public health. Sounds fascinating. You'll find the link to register for this uh, monthly Sierra Club program, uh, which is on Tuesday at 7 p.m. You'll find that link at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. Now, coming up on Thursday, March 17th at noon, proud community partners of Forward Radio, Fellowship of Reconciliation, and Sowers of Justice Network present their third Thursday lunch series. This month, it's on hurt to hope and ultimately to healing. How gun violence changed my life with Rose Smith. For this program, they've chosen an aspect of gun violence, the aftermath, to make more real and more personal than any alarming statistic can, a story about this uniquely American dilemma. Rose Smith's son, Corey Crow, was gunned down in October 2014. Since then, Rose Smith has evolved into a vigorous anti-violence activist and is a leader in the Moms Demand Action movement. In honor of Corey, she has established the ACE Project, a community center in West Louisville, where she wants other children to find a path more promising than the one which led to her son's death. ACE, or Acting Compassionately Every Day, Working with the Hand You Were Dealt. Uh, more information about them can be found at aceprojectky.org. And you can find the link to register for the Zoom on Thursday at noon or just watch the live stream. Either way, you can find it at the Sowers of Justice Facebook page, and that's at facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. 
And we'll also be broadcasting the third Thursday lunch after the fact here on Forward Radio. So stay tuned for that. Now, coming up this weekend on Saturday, March 19th, it's the very first Louisville Grows Seeds and Start Sale. There's going to be several of these Seeds and Starts sales. And this one is your very first early coal crop sale from 10 to 4 in person at Louisville Grows' Greenhouse there at 1639 Portland Avenue. The Louisville Grows Annual Seeds and Start Sale is filled with your favorite and unique veggies, herbs, fruit trees, berry bushes, native flowers, and other gardening needs. Seeds and starts are planted and grown with love by their greenhouse volunteers, and each of their over 100 varieties of plants are chosen for adaptability, biodiversity, beauty, and taste. Plants for any size garden or containers are available, and you can feel good about getting your locally grown and low-cost plants at Louisville Grows Seeds and Start Sale because all proceeds from the sales support your community their community garden grant program friends of louisville grows also receive a 15 percent discount on sale days so you can become a member now at louisvillegrows.org and the coal crop sale that's coming up this saturday helps you get your garden started earlier this spring Louisville Grows wants to get you gardening early. Many people are only thinking about planning for their garden in March, but here in Louisville, it's the perfect time to start planting cold-hardy coal crops like cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, collards, and kale. Uh, these are cold hardy so they can handle those shoulder seasons and you can get started harvesting the veggies in late spring and your gardening space will be ready to then plant summer vegetables in their place. Swiss chard and kale can last well into the summer season or beyond. Uh, and also when you're planting an early garden, there's less insects and weeds to worry about. So, or watering as well. Louisville Grows does not offer root vegetables, but the early spring is a great time to start these vegetables. So they'll be having free root vegetable seed packets available for gardeners purchasing plants at the sale. And you can direct sow those seeds alongside your coal crops to start a bountiful, healthy harvest ready for you when the summer veggies before they even get in the ground. So come on out this Saturday, March 19th, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Louisville Grows Greenhouse there at 1639 Portland Avenue and pick up on some coal crops. And then come back in April for and May, uh, April 16th, April 30th, and May 14th. There'll be more in-person seeds and start sales. You can learn more at seedsandstarts.org. Also on Saturday, at the same place from 10 to 2, Louisville Grows is hosting a Citizen Forester 101 training. You heard about it on last week's program. You can help restore Louisville's urban tree canopy by becoming a Citizen Forester. This training is the foundation of Louisville Grows' urban forestry program. Through it, participants learn how to restore and maintain Louisville's urban forest. They're taught basic tree anatomy and physiology, environmental stewardship, tree planting skills, and how to lead other volunteers in proper planting and caring for trees. Training is open to individuals of all abilities who are over 12 years old. And it's free. Light refreshments are available, and all trainees receive a Citizen Forester t-shirt. So if you've ever wanted to learn more about trees, proper planting of trees, and how to lead volunteers, boy, this is a great free training coming up on Saturday, March 19th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Healthy House, 1641 Portland Avenue. You will want to register for that, and you can do it at tinyurl.com slash cftraining322. 
tinyurl.com slash cftraining322. And of course, more information is available at louisvillegrows.org. Now, speaking of trees, on Sunday, March 20th, there's another downtown volunteer tree planting with Metro Parks and Division of Community Forestry. They are looking for volunteers from 1 to 4 p.m. They usually wrap up. I've been doing a lot of these downtown tree plantings with Metro Parks, and they wrap up well before 4 o'clock usually. So if you don't have a full three hours, don't worry about it. Uh, If you can come, give an hour or two. Uh, that would be great. It starts at 1 p.m. It's in the Phoenix Hill neighborhood again on Sunday, March 20th. And the exact location is yet to be announced, so you'll need to register in advance to work with a small team to plant new street trees in Phoenix Hill. Experienced street planting volunteers will be partnered with new ones uh, as needed. And you can register at tinyurl.com slash Forestry hyphen volunteer. tinyurl.com slash lou urban forestry dash volunteer using the my impact app to register and you can also find that link if you can't remember that one you can find it at bestparksever.com and get in touch with sarah flarsheim taylor for recent guest on this program if you got any questions uh, or want to follow up at 502-901-8191 and lastly also on sunday one to four if you don't want to plant trees in phoenix hill well you can volunteer with feed louisville which was founded at the beginning of the pandemic by chef rana kamar of prana and ramsey's cafe on the world as well as donnie green a seasoned outreach volunteer who has been working in solidarity with people experiencing houselessness in our community for years the work started with a conversation and has grown into a network of chefs restaurants food companies farmers outreach workers and countless other volunteers who work together daily to get close to 3,000 meals a week directly to people living on the streets volunteers work alongside feed louisville to prep and deliver meals you can learn more and sign up to volunteer at grow502.org that's a a program of uh, students at the louisville school of medicine and we've talked about them the former guests on this program as well so learn more at grow502.org they'll also be doing this again on sunday the 27th from one to four if you can't make it out on this sunday march 20th and that's all the time we have for today here on sustainability now i want to thank you so much for tuning in and i look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time my friends be well Thank you.